0: What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Adam Valley coming at you with my fantastic co host, Grant Hughes. We are going to tackle our biggest question for every NBA team over the course of what will be a four podcast series, each conference split into two podcasts. We are on to the Western Conference first, um, where we will cut it off. We're going in alphabetical order, so we'll cut it off after seven or eight teams. I will split it into two episodes. That's just the warning. Before we get started, the usual reminder, and please, subscribe to us wherever you consume us. If this is your first time checking us out, give us that permanent sub on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Hit the sub button on YouTube, like, comment to help the algorithm love us back. Join our Discord. The link is in every single podcast and YouTube description. Our socials are either on the screen, if you're watching our beautiful, shining faces and my very large S forehead, um, or go into the podcast or YouTube description, and you'll find the social media handles there. Before we get started, the actual biggest question I have,
1: Grant, how are you doing? Uh, well, Jordan Poole is all better now after uh had a great game last night and James Wiseman is going to the G League. So uh, those were two uh, expected and uh, not the worst results. So I'm doing great.
0: Overdue if we're talking about Jordan Poole actually getting better. I gave him a D when I gave it and you know what? I gave him what I gave him a C minus, and you talked me into I- a D. I talked you down.
1: I talked you down. (laughs) That's all Um, all part of the plan.
0: This exercise is always fascinating because it's what's tough about covering the entire league is how do you actually thoroughly cover the entire league? Our mailbags and stuff are great, but I feel like once a month, it's always good to throw in the exercise like, oh, what have we observed or curious about with these teams? We came up with a super original idea to just have a question about each team. I've never heard any podcast or content creator do anything like this. So this is just really groundbreaking, innovative stuff that I'm excited um, our dozens of listeners get to get to hear or see if they're on YouTube.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, if we could figure out like an alliterative rebrand, like Truth or Trash or Peace or Panic for this, uh, I think maybe everybody would be fooled. <laughs> but, but also, I think uh shout out to the to the people that have been providing our mailbag questions, because a lot of them, the challenge for me, I don't know about you for this exercise was not just answering this because we've hit the big questions in a lot of cases, because that's what people have been curious about. So we've had to find some new slants, I think, uh, or try to, um, but, but yeah, shout out to you guys. Cause uh, the listeners have been, obviously, as you'd expect, if you're asking about a specific team, you really care about it, but they've really been, you know, finger on the pulse of the big issues for almost all of these teams. If we've had any questions, they at least touched on the things we're going to get to today, I think for the most part.
0: Yeah, for sure. And like the hot or not, will come back because Discord asked for it. And it's been all of our Discord members. So one, if you want to ask questions or direct the content, because Grant and I are both of the mind, like the listeners should really, not, I guess not mandate is a terrible word, but we want your input and we want to yeah. talk about what you guys want us to talk about. Um, so head in there. But I do need to like throw out a Twitter solicit. Like I haven't done. I used to do a Twitter mailbag and then like a Discord mailbag and I'd either separate them or combine them. I haven't done anything from Twitter because the Discord questions have been so um, yo, know, profuse in number, and also just so so great. So yeah, I echo what Grant said. Shout out to, shout out to the Discord members and our listeners in general. Uh, we are gonna alternate teams. It was a little dangerous because we didn't double check that we we went right. Because we've done this before where we've alternated, and I think it's happened where like I've chosen the wrong team, and then you, or you've chosen the wrong team. So this is going to be. If there's a mess up and we both did like Denver at some point, uh, this is going to get very interesting.
1: Yeah. Get ready for some vamping. Cause <laughs> if we get to the rockets and you're expecting me to do it, sorry, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's, let's just get into it. Um, I started with the Dallas Mavericks um, and just some, we won't do this for every team, but since none of this will change for them uh, based on their schedule, they're seven and five uh, plus 3.4 net rating. This is all per cleaning the glass. They're top 10 in both offense and defense, just barely. Um, So a lot of those are skewed because they blew the Grizzlies out by like 41 uh, early in the season. And so they haven't been quite that good. I think they've been outscored net over the rest of their games, if you exclude that one. And so my question for for them is, how do they or how can the Mavs do something to change the way they rely so much on Luka Doncic? And that's, you know, that's been the question really since it was clear that he was going to be an ascendant superstar MVP candidate perennially Um, which is again the case this year. Um, But his usage rate is, you know, on pace to be a top five figure, top three, maybe even I think when I was looking these numbers up uh, yesterday. And so with that has been the other sort of hand in hand story of he wears down over the course of games, you know, his first half, second half splits, all his field goal, three point shooting, it it dips, you can even break down by quarters, the trend lines are sort of, really just unmistakable. Um he wears down and it's almost to the point where if he has a great first half or if it's like 29 points on you know 11 of 14 shooting and he just looks unstoppable, you can almost bank on that second half not looking anything like that. So the the real highs come with the real lows. There's a finite amount of energy that everyone has and Lucas is it just doesn't last for the full game and you can stretch that out over a full season. So what do they do, right? Like You lost Jalen Brunson. Spencer Dinwiddie has been really good. He's one option. Uh, Christian Wood is still coming off the bench. He's the other. I don't know how much more you can really ask of either of those guys. Maybe Dinwiddie a little bit, but because Wood defensively hurts the team, um, he doesn't seem to be likely to get off the bench in terms of his role going forward. So I just wonder, like, is this just a gap year, right? Where the guy that's going to come in and sort of, de-escalate the heliocentric approach just isn't here yet um which kind of sucks because luke is already this good it, it almost it's we talk about oh we're wasting a year of this guy all the time with respect to lebron or the warriors core it feels early to do that for for Doncic, but i mean he he is what he is he's a he's great uh and i think just stepping all the way back before i flip it to you to see what you think Guys with these high usage rates, if you just look back over the top 20, you know, 25, those teams don't win titles like it just it does not work. And, and Luca is is great. He deserves to have, you know, maybe the highest usage rate in the league, certainly top five. Um, but this is not based on history, the way you're going to really ultimately succeed. So uh, I know I'm posing a question and I'm not giving a lot of answers, but I think it's because the maps just aren't built. Uh, to have someone or to play in a, in a way that, that sort of takes the burden off Luca, you know, to, to the degree that I think it would have to for them to be taken seriously as a contender.
0: I would echo everything you said, and I wouldn't have an answer because of the way that roster is built. And the only thing I think you could do, and Zach Lowe mentioned this, is try playing Dinwiddie, Luca, and Christian Wood together because those are your th- three guys who can dribble. But the defense has been a disaster during that time. And they've decided they don't want to play it. I think they've logged fewer than 50 possessions together this season. My question, and I have an answer. I've already talked about this. um, But I think because Luka has been so ultra historically high usage, people are wondering whether he can even play a different way. There was We had YouTube commenters saying that he's a terrible passer, which is just like... I guess if you think he should pass more, he's third in potential assists this season, by the way. The Mavericks are converting less than 50% of their looks off his passes. Now, are those late shot clock bombs? I didn't dig into it too much. Still, I personally think that it's it's a fair question to wonder, can he play a different way? Because I think we've seen James Harden's made some tweaks. Not necessarily so much. In Philly, yeah, before he was injured, but not so much. But when you looked at how he played with Russell Westbrook at points or even Chris Paul, can Luka make a bigger adjustment, though? And my answer is would be yes, just because like we've seen what he does in the post and um he can even more so than a Hardener or a Westbrook, I think can be used as a screener, but it's also a fair question because the Mavs and this leads to like what your answer, it's why you can't provide an answer. They've never been built for Luca to be anything other than epically high usage.
1: I wonder too, it does seem clear. And there've been a lot of reports about this over the years that the Dallas to I un- understandably, Really caters to whatever Luca wants. And it's possible he wants to play this way, even if even if the results have been he wears down and Dallas has a sort of ceiling on it for that reason. Um, and maybe maybe the Mavs, maybe Jason Kidd has approached him. I mean, Jason Kidd of all people understands like moving the ball and you know sharing sharing the offensive burden is is the way to go. Maybe Luca just wants to do this and thinks he can, and has a lot of evidence suggesting that he's right based on his production individually, but it that's another aspect of it is like, I don't know, you know, Harden didn't change until he sort of had to, right? Like until the Houston thing ran its course and, and he changed teams and things looked different. I, I wonder if Luke is ready to, to change the way that he plays too. I
0: will say that if he's not, or if this is how he wants to play, like you need part of running a team is like, you do have to keep like the star, Ego's in check. It's what came back with the Lakers and LeBron and Palinka. Okay, if LeBron wanted Russ and supported it, fine. But Rob Polinka's job, his entire job is to manage the team and be able to make the tough calls of like, no, LeBron, you're fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. And so someone needs to, whether it's Jason Kidd, um, or like, you know, it's not going to be Mark Cuban if it's going to be the, the front office. Nico Harrison, someone needs to come in and just say, hey, no, we're not going to play this way. Um, We're already, I said, should have said the goal was five minutes per team. We're already a little bit o- over. I will... The one thing I wanted to say, and I think you were leading to it, is they're not really built to make a trade right now either because they need to be able to guarantee first-round picks. And while their top 10 protected first will go to New York this season, the soonest you can convey a pick at this very moment is 2025. And there's just not as much flash in there as if you're able to convey more immediate. Um, they could offer a 2024 like, conditional swap, I guess. But when it's conditional on what's happening with the Knicks, um, you almost have to wait. Until this offseason, to make the mega trade, unless a star demands to be moved to Dallas specifically. Right. Yeah. That leaves me to tackle um, the Golden State Warriors. I'm just kidding. I wanted
1: to see if my heart jumped when you said that.
0: Um, At least we covered the Denver Nuggets. The discussion we had about, I can't remember who asked the question about whether they should make a trade was wildly um, destroyed on YouTube. People were pissed off and claim that we don't watch the nuggets in case you were wondering, Grant, Ooh, interesting. Um, but so the nuggets, I, my, my overarching question is what is their defense? Because they are sixth in points allowed per possession since they started two and two. Um, However, when you look at the schedule, like it, it hasn't been, they just played the bulls. They just played the Celtics. So it's gotten a little harder, but they were like, Oh, they played the thunder. They played the Lakers. They played the Spurs in there. And you dig into, these are numbers while they're sixth in points allowed per possession. They are 24th in the share of shots allowed at the rim and 26th in actual rim defense. They are also dead last on the season in points allowed per possession after they miss a shot. When you look at some of the lineups, the starters, and then the lineup where it's the starters, no MPJ, but Bruce Brown. And then even the lineup where it's Jamal Murray hasn't been in it, but you've inserted Bruce Brown anyway. So, like, it's KCP, Brown, and Gordon, and MPJ, and Jokic. Those lineups have all been fine to really good defensively. Their point differentials are absurd. So, I went back and I watched. I actually watched the Nuggets for this, which is something we don't do on this podcast with the Nuggets or any other team. The ball containment is an actual issue. And I wouldn't, I don't fault Nicole Jokic specifically. Like, yeah, he's playing higher up in a lot of instances, but when you look at the nuggets when they're in like, like the other team is in transition or semi-transition guys are just, their bodies aren't turned to make stops. They're not sets. Um, even also in some of the bench units too, like guys have just been getting by Um, the, the players who are supposed to be containing the ball. Uh, I think we've seen a lot with, you know, um bones highland from the like the the weak side of the court and then you don't have the players whether Jokic is on the floor or not behind these guys who are making yeah mpj does it sometimes but like if it's jamal murray and mpj on the court and like those are the two guys guarding the corner um the communication there doesn't seem like it's been great people who watch the nuggets more than i do might be able to say whether that's a you know an actual issue or not i'm just curious what is their defense because i they were my title pick should have should have led with that. So maybe Nuggets fans didn't tune out right now. I'm, I am I want to know what their defense is because they're still, this is how much early season noise can skew stats. They're still 24th in points allowed per possession on defense, even though they've been sixth since those initial four games. I I want to know what their defense is and whether I have faith that it's going to have another level come playoff time against the elite teams. And my honest answer is I look at the personnel and I can see some of the vision and it getting better. But I honestly don't know.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know that we'd gone into the numbers super closely when we discussed this last time. Um, This is totally the issue for Denver, I think. However you want to frame it, the defense is the issue because offense is just never going to be a problem. Um, I think we did sort of think it was strange that a team that brought in, you know, a couple of, you know, higher profile defensive minded free agents was just still having a problem keeping ball handlers in front of them. Um, I think, I just think it's, it's going to level out a little bit. I still, I do think that the off season moves were right. Sorry. I think those, you know, those are the types of moves you needed to make. Um, I mean, KCP has been
0: fantastic overall for them too.
1: So I just, I like, I'm, I'm open. I'm amenable to the idea that KCP is now overrated defensively, but I don't think that's the same as saying he's going to be a bad defender all year. Uh, I I think him and Brown should be fine. I think Gordon is fine to plus, or at least has that reputation. And I, I just think some of it is, again, it, you have limitations with Jokic. I know this has been just like a, just a sore spot because depending on where you fall on the Jokic and Nuggets allegiance spectrum, you're going to either, point out the things that he's not good at defensively of which there are several, or you're going to say, you know, he's gotten a lot better and some of the numbers show say that he's actually really good defensively, how you square that with, well, this team upgraded its perimeter defense and its rim protection still sucks. I'm not sure. Um, I think the way that he has to be used, like he can't ever be in a drop because it's just like, he's a pylon. He, he, he's not going to deter stuff at the rim. We learned that Mike Malone has tried that. Um, he, you certainly can't switch him. So he has to come up to the level and either tag or head just, you know, he has to be out away from the basket. And when your t- biggest players away from the basket, it just gets harder to defend the rim in rotation. So I think some of it's just structural and, and like, you know, I'm sure Jokic has improved and some of the numbers say he's great. I'm just not convinced. I think, uh, and the longer you have the same issue with your defense, the smarter other teams get about attacking it. Um, so I, yeah, I, what is this defense? I mean, league average best case, I think. Um, and, and that's a pretty big climb from where it is right now. Um, if they finish 15th and this offense is still top five, that's a whole bunch of wins. And then, you know, maybe a playoff series or two. I just, I just, I mean, ultimately, if you want to go zoom all the way out, I think the way that the Nuggets defend is like the thing that's going to prevent them from being a serious contender. I just, it is what it is at this point. You know, we have, we have a lot of information over several years uh, and, and the improvements this year should help. I don't know if it's going to help enough. And
0: I'm also like, is this faux concern if your best and most used lineups when it's going to matter, most are killing it. Again, I need to see like the level of competition increase, like over a longer period of span for them. And I will say anecdotally, it feels like Aaron Gordon might lead the league in like passive aggressive. What the fuck stares after the Nuggets just give up these like parades to the basket. Uh, there's, there's like a, mo- there's of what I was watching. There was just a lot of moments where he looked miffed. And one of them was just like against the bulls where he didn't really contain the ball. And the bulls were in semi-transition. I can't remember if it was IO to or if it was, uh, I don't remember who it was, but it was just, I was watching so many possessions and they just like blew right by him got to the room and he was like semi glaring at Jokic and Murray and MPJ at the same time it was just like um so i honestly i don't know they the, the nuggets are my title pick i thought that was going to work but you even just breaking down like the way that you have to play Jokic that doesn't mean he's the primary problem i mean no. the guys behind him need to be like able to defend that way and have the nuggets found that just yet it could improve as Murray and MPJ get like let's say healthier mm-hmm. um and it, MPJ still retains his like defensive playmaking ceiling but yeah i don't the whole point of this exercise is to ask questions we don't have answers to, and I have no answer to this one. Right.
1: Well, I have an answer for this one, uh, and may, yours might be different. Yours probably is different. So we have the Golden State Warriors next. Uh, is it time to scrap two timelines? Very simple. Um, <laughs> James Weisman being in the G League for the next 10-plus days, I think, uh, is a, a little data point that uh, I think really matters. Um, so my answer, though, is no, but it's for a different reason than it used to be. Um
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm interested how you spend this.
1: yeah yeah so well it's it's a really simple one now uh and that and so if you're saying scrap the true timelines it means you're starting to look really seriously at trades right for wiseman Kaminga, even moody pool no one you can't but but the investment is already made in him um this would just be selling low right i mean you just yeah. sent wiseman to the g league you can't like what is his value there's, and he's going to make 12 we, something. We
0: did have a Pistons fan ask. Okay. If,
1: Are we going to talk if, about this one? <laughs> all right.
0: right, <laughs> we'll skate. We'll skate we'll over it.
1: No, no. So the proposal was Wiseman and Kaminga for Diallo and who? Uh New Orleans Noel. New Orleans Noel. Sure. Uh, so great example of, I think their value might be a little uh, <laughs> frustrating. I don't
0: mean to insult who ask the question. They were legitimately asking. And I appreciate yeah. the question. I just. It's to prove your point that yes, you would you would be selling low.
1: If if you were someone that didn't watch the Warriors or follow them closely, you would look at Wiseman's production and how he's hurt the team, and you'd look at Kaminga being in and out of the rotation, and you'd say, "Well, these guys aren't helpful. Why would they? You know, like that's not it, from As that perspective. Who
0: watches the Warriors, I have a lot, the, a lot of the same sentiments, at least with Wiseman. That's fair. true.
1: No, so I think I think it's just the wrong time, but I, I do think we talk we've talked about this before. It's clear to me now that Wiseman and to a lesser extent Kaminga will not be able to help win the title this year. Certainly not Wiseman. Kaminga could be like a 15, He could be like in last year's role where he actually does help in a limited role um, against the right opponents, somewhat inconsistently. But it it's just, you can't do it now. You need Wiseman to go down to the G League. You need him to come back up and actually be like a net neutral guy, right? Because then you start looking more at the potential. It's really hard to care about what he's going to be like when he's 25, if he's just destroying your, your, your differential every time he's on the floor. Um, So, I mean, the other thing is that the starters continue to be really good. Pool finally looked like Jordan pool last night and granted it was against the Spurs. Um, I think there's just a lot of upside from even the other guys. Like I think Clay Thompson will be better. He's never going to be like a fringe all-star again, but I think he can improve. So just personally, you know, I'm staying patient kind of cuz you have to now cuz like if if a great trade were on the table i'm sure you'd have to think about pulling the trigger for wiseman um but selling at the lowest value just doesn't just doesn't make sense and i think there's a reason to believe that anyone that the warriors might be thinking about moving on from you know with respect to like the guys that are the, the phase 2 of the timeline or whatever um It's just, it's, it's just not the time that's that. that, I think those guys will improve their value uh, at least at the very least. I don't think their value is going to get worse. So uh, that's where I'm at on that one.
0: I just, so if you're not moving those guys, what does not catering to two timelines look like then? Because if you're not playing Wiseman, if you're only committing to playing Kaminga X amount of minutes per game, same with Moody, like those are spots in the rotation then that could be going to players who can log mm-hmm. more minutes. And so you're not willing to make a trade or sell low, which I, I totally understand. So what does it even look like? You're yeah. even when you're not playing or actively developing these guys, you're still committing to two timelines by having them on the roster. And I understand it's the marketplace dictates whether you would even consider moving them. And um, a friend of the podcast, Mort wrote an article today that he thinks the Warriors should trade for John Collins.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: I don't know how you feel about that fit. I thought it was just like, given the Warriors defensive issues this year, I also like, so I'm with you in that you need to choose a timeline, but they've, they've almost made the decision by virtue of still having these guys, not that you have to move them, but I guess the way they fleshed out the rest of the roster was very much. At least two of these guys are going to be able to contribute to winning this season.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. I, that was totally the expectation. I think, Oh, we love, you know, the Warriors lose Gary Payton and Otto Porter, Kaminga certainly could come in and give you 85% of what Porter did, right? Like that was a totally reasonable expectation because Porter really didn't play a lot, but they missed so much of what both of those guys brought. I mean, Peyton, just from an energy standpoint, it's very apparent that the Warriors played a hundred game season last year. Um, especially among some of everyone except Steph, um, looks just the, the, you know, this is all we'd like to be more, you know, quantitative and analytical than this, but, um, A lot of the Warriors struggles are just the guys, just the sense of urgency is not really there. There's some fatigue. There's some, you know, element of uh, we don't really need to go as hard as we can right now. Um, That's a factor, too. But, yeah, like, I guess you just so to answer your question, I mean, Dante DiVincenzo needs to stay healthy and be better. He wasn't very good last night and in a game that most of the Warriors look pretty good. And now you're talking about Jermichael Green's back in the rotation. He's going to play center, Steve Kerr said, which is the right choice. But then when Wiseman comes back, he's now fourth on that center depth chart. Fifth, maybe, wow, yeah. if you count Draymond Green, because Anthony Lamb has earned a rotation role, which is insane because he couldn't make the Rockets. Uh, so I just you're just going to lean on guys you didn't really expect to lean on. And then you just hope that what you thought would happen with Kuminga and Moody and Wiseman, the Wiseman is the long shot, kind of comes to fruition some point midway through the year where, oh yeah, Kaminga can come in and, and, you know, the mistakes diminish and he's making energy plays and running the floor and being the best athlete out there. Like that's, that's realistic to me, I think, but it's a lower bar than you'd like for those guys to have to clear to sort of, you know, count as successes.
0: I think I'm with everything you said. I do believe though, and this is probably a decision you make over the offseason, Once Jordan Poole's extension kicks in, it's going to be time to start looking at, well, how do we consolidate this if we're actually want to contend with because if you want to be committed to the second timeline, I think it's the wrong, I think it's the wrong call. I'm maximizing Steph because his title window is guaranteed right now. He might, he's one of the three best players in the NBA at the moment. I still had him fifth, tied for fifth on my latest MVP ballot, even though the Warriors are under 500. Right. Guess what? Wins aren't a player stat. Uh so I, I just in the middle of the season, I don't see maybe they get lucky on the buyout market. It's just sort of like, because I don't see I don't know where the upgrade come even if you're thinking someone becomes available like it's so much harder to, a lot of the players that might come are they would be upgrades over Jordan Poole is my point like if Bradley Beal entered the trade market oh he's someone who can actually uplift the lineups without Steph and maybe Poole starts to do that he was bad to start the year you can't really trade pool right now because of the way his contract's set up and so you're again I think you're just implicitly committed to the two timelines through this this season and you sort of have to take your medicine and I'm just look they're lucky You have four titles in the bank. I get it, but like you're lucky. Steph is Steph because he's so low maintenance. This, if I was him, I'd just be, I'd be pretty annoyed.
1: Yeah, I think it's a. You'd never know it if he didn't, but I think there is some indication that he he does believe that this is gonna work. I think Uh, because you know, (laughs) it 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 worked. It more or less worked last year. It's not like uh, you know they they dabbled with it a little bit. Wiseman getting hurt was like maybe kind of put a godsend soon. like what? Yeah. But before didn't force them to really soberly evaluate what kind of player he is right now. Uh, but yeah, no, I, the time to do it, if you were going to dump the two timeline plan was, I mean, before this season, for sure, right. maybe at some point last year, Uh
0: batter pace for us right now. Let's see if we can get, let's see if we can pick that up with the Houston Rockets. I have so many questions about the Houston Rockets. But I decided to focus on alperen Shangun. And I, I kind of just want to know why like why don't they play through him more? And also, will he continue to start once Bruno Fernando is healthy? We had someone ask, I don't have it with me in the Discord. I bookmarked it for a a future mailbag. Actually asked, like, can you investigate why they don't want to start him or why they think that's the right call? Um, he has been Jalen Green is their most important player long term. Alperin Shangoon is their best player right now. And the numbers for him are just absolutely through the roof this year. And he's doing it in, even again, he's starting now. And his minutes compared to last year are up. He's still just not playing enough. And he's at 16.1 points, uh, 1.9 assists, shooting 62.6% on twos. Uh, The fact that what's really weird about his case this year is he's such a great passer, but he has more turnovers than assists. Um, I think a lot of that is playing time noise, the team that he plays for. When you dig into his game, though, he's averaging 4.1 elbow touches. That's like fewer than Brandon Clark right now. It's still higher relative to the league average, but he's 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 good. like for, let him facilitate from the elbows. You're also he's at like 4.3. he's finishing anyway, 4.3 post 3.4 post ups per game. He's averaging 1.17 points per post up possession right now. The Rockets as an offensive team. Are at one point zero eight overall. So an Alperin Shangun post up is your most might be your most efficient offense right now. Anyway, he's shooting sixty three percent on them. Um, will he stick in the starting five? I think that he just should. And is it time to change the starting five overall, even beyond having him in there? I know you're. Con- I'm not saying bench Jabari Smith Junior because you're concerned about them long term, but it's like, do you need to start KPJ with Jalen Green? And I know some people might think it's a rush to put KPJ. Uh, off the bench but it's just like that lineup their starting lineups are getting absolutely l- like hammered and this team is first of all it's it's not good it's two and twelve it's just it's not good and I understand it's not necessarily built to be good but when you look at the Rockets there's just not really a discernible identity to me there you have Jalen Green's incredible speed which he doesn't seem to know how to really slow down at sometimes. His, his ridiculous shot making. There are times where I feel like they let Jabari Smith Jr. do too much. He should be more of a play finisher. And then yet you're not letting Alper and Shangun do enough. And then it's like if you're not going to slow things down. And this, by the way, I, maybe I would argue or not argue this as, as passionately, let's say, if they had like a floor general on the roster. They don't. Like you've decided that KPJ or Jalen Green, like those are the guys that you're going to develop in that context. I think that's also unfair to both of them. I don't think they're those players. And we've seen like lots of flashes from Jalen green for sure, but he's not the slow it down orchestrate. Like he doesn't seem to know how to operate on any other speed other than 11. And then just sort of um, finally here, if you're not going to play the way of slow it down, like, okay, well then why can't this team actually play fast? They're like, they're, they're like semi slow is the best way for me to classify them. It's like, why can't you push the pace more after grabbing a defensive rebound? It's like Jalen green sometimes wants to slow it down and then uptick it in the half court, which yeah, there can be a benefit to a lot of the time, but it's just, it's so confusing to me and I'm not, I don't want to focus on because we've talked about it. What I feel is like an overall, lack of identity. And like, you look at the personnel on, on this roster, it's like, okay, well, why are they 26th in average possession time after grabbing a defensive board? Uh If they're not playing throughout for a shangoon, uh, but the shangoon stuff is, can they like rely on him more when he's at, it's not even just play. I, he should play as many minutes as you can get from him. But like, can you rely on him more when he's on the court?
1: Yeah. I think um the, anytime it, there's lots of reasons for this. When a team, just isn't playing as fast as you think it should. And and there's different ways to measure it. If you're talking about actual length of offensive possession versus like transition frequency, those are two pretty different stats that have, you know, are affected by a lot of different variables that don't necessarily overlap. But I think a lot of times, so a team like the Rockets that you just, you said it like their primary ball handlers are Jalen green and, and KPJ. And I don't think of either of those guys as, having the experience or like intuition really at this stage to sort of make the quick decisions and the quick one pass reads where, Oh, this defender is three steps this way when he should be there. And if I pass it here, this generates us a shot, like, you know, within either right away or another pass away. Like that's just, that's just seeing, you know, you hear guys talk about just seeing the pictures all the time. You know, you need to see enough pictures to sort of recognize patterns and know if, if the floor looks like this and i go here or throw it there, this, this is what's going to happen. And that's just like, that's an experience. So, but to your point, Sangoon is someone that like, look, the Rockets win his minutes, like which is wild. They're they're plus 2.9 with them on the floor and all of that's offense because the defense goes in the tank. Um, So I, I, this is not new to anyone who's aware of the scouting report on him, you know, pre going back to pre-draft, he's a really gifted offensive big and the post-up numbers are really impressive he makes a ton of shots this year, which is a big difference in like the, the, just, you know, that weird, awkward floater, long hook, you know, three to 10 foot range. He's making like 60 something percent of those shots this year, which is no way to live, but it's indicative of his skill. I, I think, I think it's just inexperience. Like I watched some of the Clippers uh, Rockets game just on, on Monday night and Jalen Green used a Euro step and, and the broadcast was <laughs> like made a point of saying, huh. That's unusual. So that's just, he doesn't have the craft yet. He doesn't slow down. You're right. And, and Sengun on a post-up, he's a good post-up player. Zubots just pulled the chair, just, just the classic, like he, he, he got one shoulder bump. He knew Sengun was coming with a second one, moved out of the way, turnover. So I think a lot of it is the Rockets just need to be willing to live with Sengun, turn the ball over. I, I think, you know, there's all these stats about young point guards that, one indicator of a of a guy potentially being a really good point guard down the line is he turns it over a lot as a rookie. Cause he's like trying stuff. He like, he sees things and he's trying stuff. So I'm not bothered by the more turnovers and assists. I think he should play a ton. I think they should run it through him almost everywhere. Cause what's, what's Jalen green's like best attribute. It's just, he's fast. He's really fast. So just have him get a running start and play some handoff game and just let those two guys figure it out. Um, yeah. I, I, I think, I think Sangoon is, you know, I'm not the biggest uh, Domas Sabonis fan, but, like, there's a lot of that in him. And I think maybe not the brute strength, and but, like, you can run an offense through a guy like that. I think the Rockets might want to consider that a little more.
0: I do wonder if they have to change the lineup context in which he plays sometimes, though. And that leads me, I'm going to wrap up with this. Uh, 50 post-ups per shangun this year so far that's per mba.com i thought i honestly thought it was more but 50 post-ups for alper and shangun how many assists does he have if you had to ballpark a number
1: on 50 post up it can't be high because his per game is like 1.9 i'm gonna say like 7. Zero. Oh, hey cut guys Somebody cut. <laughs> that's, in, that's in pickup where the big guy's really pissed off that no one's cutting and he's got he, nowhere to go. He's
0: passing on 24% of his post-ups. He has four turnovers against zero assists. I went and looked that up because I was like, when I was going through, I was like, there's like, something feels off here and zero. I, I felt like that number was wrong, but I was like, Let's also might be right. It might be right. <laughs> uh, that's
1: that's damning of everyone, but him, because I'm going to go pro Sangoon big time on this. <laughs> Those guys need to cut or make themselves available for spot ups. And then the coaching staff has got to install something where like, it's not just four other dudes looking at him, trying to post up Zubots and getting the chair pulled. Like that's not going to work.
0: Yeah. I, I was just, I wanted to save that for the end because oh. it was just so baffling
1: to me. Unbelievable. All right. So I have the LA Clippers. Um, What's wrong with the offense besides Kawhi Leonard not being there? Um, so some of this is going to be skewed because they played the Rockets on Monday and these numbers are from before that game. Um, but they were 30th in offensive rating prior to getting the Rockets a generous defense. Um, their bottom five in what their effective field goal percentage ought to be based on the shot locations they're getting. Um, they deserve to be there because that's sort of where they are in frequency from the rim and at the rim and from the corners on threes, which like, you know that's a quick and dirty way to just be like, "What's your shot profile look like?" And if you're an average shooting team, how good are you going to be? Um, they're dead last in corner three point percentage. Again, this is this is from before the Rockets game. Um, you'd expect that to normalize, but I think we a huge talking point last year was you know the the Clippers just couldn't miss a three. They were one of the best three point shooting teams in the league all year. Um, so just the shooting is is an issue. Um, I think it'll settle in somewhere between the, you know, the high 20% and the low forties, but you're not getting the low forties again. I don't think um, just because almost nobody does that in terms of their offensive profile, they isolate a ton um, and they're not very good at it. Third overall in frequency, 34th percentile in efficiency. They're number 25 or number 29 in spot up frequency, which is another cheap way to, you know, that's what you want. A lot of spot up. You want a lot of off screen stuff. They're also in the 34th percentile uh, in points per play of that play type. They get nothing in handoff and cuts. They just don't utilize that type of offense. Um, They're bottom five-ish in drives per game, so they're not getting into the paint. Um, Their paint touches are low. They're second to last in passes per game, so the ball's not moving. It's kind of like if you're just asking, you know, what kind of signs would you want to see in a bad offense? They're just ticking boxes like up and down the list of of what's what's you just – things that are really bad omens for, oh, this will be okay eventually. Um, So I think a lot of it is just the personnel. And this was a team built with a billion wings that are just dependent scores around two star offensive options. And Paul George is the only one that's playing. And he's bringing the ball up a ton last night. I just, he's great at that. Paul George continues to be just like underrated. He's really good. But if he's the only guy that's going to, you know, split a double team or, you know, operate well in the pick and roll, get into the paint and get the ball moving. That's just, that's that's too much. That's too much for him to handle. And when the ball gets kicked out to say like Nick Batum, yeah, he'll make the right pass if he's covered, but he's not going to blow by and trigger another breakdown and get the defense into rotation. And they just don't have enough guys that can do that. John Wall theoretically could, but he's not playing enough. He was out last night too. I just think a lot of it is, They don't have the personnel to have the body movement or player movement to score that way. And individual shot creation wise, without Kawhi, there's like one dude that that really is going to do anything. So I think the offense is a a real problem. And I think Kawhi coming back obviously sort of fixes everything. But I think we've discussed several times. I don't know why you'd bank on that at this point. So it's oddly... For a team whose roster construction we just lauded because they just hoarded everybody that was six seven and could defend and shoot, it's kind of is it possible you can have too many? Maybe you add they actually did prove that you can have too many three and D like combo forward types because they're just not generating enough high expected value shots with the personnel they have.
0: Yeah, and I think we look. We've seen Reggie jo- J- Jackson, Reggie Jackson, start to normalize a little bit with his shooting, which is good. Norman Powell has come up from absolute rock bottom, but is still super low. Uh, the Clippers are shooting ten percentage points worse from three when he's on the court this year, and a lot. I think a lot of it comes back to shooting. I don't know if it's so. It's definitely the roster construction to me. That and it's it's so weird to just have this conversation knowing that Kawhi really, really? hasn't played, and so that is a big part of it. But also. What about Kawhi's recent history makes you think that you could have banked on him being available for more than like 55 games or whatever it was this season. Anyway, you look at the roster construction. I'm not sure if it's just they, yeah, okay. They skew too far towards the wing, like end of the spectrum, but it wouldn't help if you had more bigs. It's really just a matter of, did they not get enough self starters or offensive initiators? And that the answer is probably yes. And it's not even so much. They don't need another Paul, George or Kawhi, like that type of initiator, it just feels like they need a, a, a an offensive quarterback where it's John wall can bring some of it and maybe a little bit of like a change in cadence, but his change in cadence is more abrupt to me where it's like, Oh, he'll get you like that full floor speed. Yes. But in terms of the half court speed, it's still there for them. But is he the settle down guy that you want to break down defenses? And so it makes me wonder, like leading into the trade deadline, they can trade one first round pick right now. Are they a team like when you're starting to look at some of the salaries they have, that should be going after Mike Conley feels like that would be a perfect fit for this roster. And I I don't know if that would address all their issues, but and I don't know that you're giving up a 2029 first round pick to get Mike Conley. I want to make that clear.
1: Yeah,
0: but like it does feel like they need that type of a presence. Maybe it's even like with a Monte Morris. Let's even think about a little bit lower end. How far would he go on a roster like this? And part of me feels like, oh, are we oversimplifying this? But it's also, like, could we be overcomplicating it too because Kawhi's not there? But also, when is Kawhi going to be there? And so there – I haven't been able – there are a few teams I've not been able to get a hold on, and the Clippers are, are sort of one of them. I'm concerned, but, like, I I almost can't put my finger on – I can put my finger on why, but I don't see their path – like, I don't see their path out of it, but I also do. It's just – so. I don't know if they should overreact, is my point, to what's happened through the first, you know – 12 15 of the season however however long it's been
1: to your point i think we're not having this conversation if they're shooting league average from three i think i you know because yeah. then then their offensive rating is like oh you know it's okay and then once Kawhi's back it's fine we're not worried so much about the you know the personnel grouping um and that'll come up it's just you know if you're looking for a fatal flaw in, in a team that was projected to be a, a title Favorite, I think, by some, like it's just, yeah, the offense is a little clunky and it's or a lot clunky, and and it's a, a lot of it's because the best guy is not out there, but a lot of it's because just you know they don't they're not set up to have you know a second guy pierce the defense and start a you know cascading effect of defensive mistakes where you get easy ones. So you're you're having to make a lot of threes and they're not doing that right now.
0: I do wonder is there like something to the effect of do they need? more people who are better screeners and is that part of the reason why like when a when a beach is off the floor their offensive rating just, um is I, I guess it's actually worse when he's on the court too so I, I shouldn't even say that uh they have a 104 offensive rating with him and they're at 110.3 without him so never mind i guess playing with space those are both below average offensive ratings by the right. way yeah he's just been so good this season i would have assumed it's a lot higher yeah the next team is me And it's the Lakers. I don't know what other question we're supposed to ask other than do you trade Russell Westbrook? If you're them at this point, I will say since he's come off the bench, he has been a lot better. 18.3 points, 8.1 assists against 4.4 turnovers shooting better than 41% from three on four attempts per game, 46.5% on twos. He's getting more of his shots inside the restricted area. About half of them are coming there up from 42% before The Lakers are 41 in his minutes though, which is the second worst plus minus on the team in front of only LeBron James, ironically, who's dealing with a hip injury at the moment. I don't, it's still a question because I feel like I've answered it in both refrains of, well, at this point I would just eat this season because no trades you make is going to turn you into a contender. So holster those picks, holster your cap space, and then figure it out this summer reevaluate do you trade AD are you able to sign someone and and run it back then i'm also just like well what are we doing here you still have lebron who has not been like lebron lebron it was like he was fine to start the season and then it sort of felt like it went downhill uh, i i honestly don't like and is there a way like well if you can trade one first round pick like if if you could do the turner buddy heel trade for one first round pick it my logic says that you do it and then though I was listening to Zach Lowe the other day, are you against but like, you shouldn't do that because that's a half-ass measure. And so I kind of get that stance too. And just knowing where the Lakers are, knowing how brutal the West is going to be. And by the way, it's more brutal than we expected, at least in terms of margin for error, because the jazz and the Blazers weren't supposed to be here this late into this, this late, like into the early part of the season, even the Spurs were friskier for a second. And there are teams that are underachieving right now. When you look at the Timberwolves, maybe throw the Pelicans in there a little bit that you would expect to get the Warriors, of course, that you would expect to get better. So it's almost harder if you're starting from your position of weakness to, to build back up. And so you need to make this decision soon. It's not, oh, well, let's wait to 20 games into the season to see whether the trade market develops. Then, however, I come back to the point that, all right, even if the trade market develops, who are you outbidding for players that other teams want? Maybe, maybe because your pick's are going to be these gems down the line, at least teams think, especially if they're unprotected in 27 and 29, you can get a miles Turner. You'll have the best offer for miles Turner. But if you have the best offer, it's probably because you're overpaying for a player. Other teams weren't willing to give up as much for, but if a Bradley Beal does come on the trade market, you're not going to have the best offer. He has a no trade clause. That would be your best bet of getting Bradley Beal and sort of looming over all this, like LeBron and the AD minutes without Russ, They've not been, like, world beaters this season. And so can we just get... Who are you replacing him with where you're going to guarantee that this works out? Are you able to get Kyrie Irving for just Russ at this point? And just what type of message does that send? LeBron immediately walking back his criticism of Kyrie, which is such a bullshit move. I don't care. There are probably fair questions to ask about his to-do list and why Joe Psy has to be sort of the arbiter of morality here when I don't want to be the what aboutist, But it's also fair to criticize, like, this you know, Joe Cy stance on like certain human rights issues. Uh, so I, I understand the inquiry there, but like we're dealing with Kyrie Irving promoting an anti-Semitic docu series, then refusing to walk it back on multiple occasions. Don't defend him, but I was almost just like, oh, he's like he looked at the Lakers death chart and that's what he's doing. So I don't I don't know what the Lakers do or what I would do. I always default towards because I said this with the Warriors, you have LeBron, so you go for it. But like going for it, I don't know what that looks like for them because even the players they have access to, I don't think gets them to where you you want to be if you're making that type of a move.
1: Right? Uh, yeah, not a lot has changed uh, in my stance on the Westbrook situation since he went to the bench. And you you said it like the plus minus still is what it is. It's still shit. They they lose the minutes when he plays, like you know. And now it's against second units. So you tell me if that's better or worse <laughs> Then like it should be easier and it's not. Right. So. Uh, I, yeah. So should you, should you maximize LeBron's window? Of course. Right. Um, and they should trade Westbrook if they could for a return that would accomplish that Turner and heel doesn't do it. Uh, I, I guess like you could, you could make the case to me and I might buy it that they really shouldn't care about those picks that much, but it's still, you're just digging deeper. You're just digging the hole deeper. If, if you move those picks for a return that, gets you what like you're 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 in the they're just not going to be better than the play in I don't think um and 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 that's assuming you know Heald and Turner both work great work as expected provide the shooting they don't have right even Turner defends the rim lets AD play the four and roam which he wants to do then it's like well LeBron still has to stay healthy and be you know top five MVP level and then it's like Anthony Davis still has to stay healthy and not have these multiple week stretches where he just isn't the guy that he needs to be. He's been better lately. I mean, to be honest, I know this is such a hot take, but like, I really am coming around more to if if you're trying to do something that like meaningfully changes the Lakers outlook, not this year, but you know, gets you out of like, you're consigned to some rough years after LeBron's gone. I think the Davis trade does make sense. I think that's how he's your only positive value asset that you can actually trade. Uh, so like if you're just going to be cold and calculated about it, like that's the way forward it, it, but that doesn't do anything for you this year. Cause you're not getting back a player as good as AD in a trade involving AD this year. I don't think. So do they trade Westbrook? No, it's just, it doesn't, you know, we, nothing, nothing about his changed role uh, other perhaps other than perhaps the perception that he's been better, which I don't think is really meaningful, uh, you know, in reality, um, it just, it doesn't do enough. It doesn't do enough to, to improve the team this year. It doesn't make them a title contender, which if you're going to give up two first rounders, which are the only two you have, then it, it needs to be that significant.
0: What I was going to ask though, would you do if Charlotte just said, we're bottoming out and we want this money off the books and it's Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier for Russ and no picks.
1: Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. You would, you
0: would do I'd probably do it too. Just because you're getting rid of the cap space then, but at least you're saving your picks. I don't know if if I was Charlotte, I would just consider it because I know cap space and free agency in a market like Charlotte, yada, yada, yada. But you can still use that cap space to acquire players in trades. And just like I would be more about, I mean,
1: would you do it for one first round pick for the Lakers? I don't think so. Um,
0: Just because
1: then you're I mean, the other thing I would want to know, which you can't tell me and no one can is who's the guy that they think they're going to sign if they open up space. Right. And next summer, the Lakers, I mean. So, cause if you put Hayward doesn't Hayward has another year on his deal after this one, is that right? Or am I mistaken on that? Uh, he has another year left. Yes. So then you're not signing anybody basically, unless you flip him, uh, somehow. So uh, yeah, I don't, if it's just players for player. Yeah. I, I would just to have Russ off the team and have like two guys that can play like a normal style. I would, I would do that for sure. Um, but I don't want to give up the picks too. Cause I think the lake, those are just life only the only remaining lifelines for the Lakers.
0: One fun development before you uh, get started. The Lakers are plus 10.4 points for hundred possessions. When AD plays without Russ or LeBron, there's a lot of Troy Brown jr. And Lottie Walker, the fourth going and Austin Reeves going on in those minutes and, and it's working apparently.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. Nothing, it's one of the only things that works. Um, so we've got the Memphis Grizzlies next. Um, and I, I, I love a rhetorical question. Why can't the Grizzlies win the West? Um, this is like a big macro question because there's just too many little interesting Grizzlies things that I wanted to touch on. So I'm going to just do that now. Uh, so last year, right, they they won 56. It felt like an overachievement, but their point differential suggested like they won the correct number of games last year. Um, so you're getting Jaron Jackson back uh, tonight. We're recording this Tuesday. You're also losing Desmond Bain for two to three weeks, which sucks because I'm going to pump him up here in a, in a minute. Um, <laughs> but you get Jackson back, and I think that upgrades the defense significantly because he finally made the strides last year that everybody wanted to see. Um, and they're, they were fifth on defense last year. Memphis was. They're 17th now. Maybe Jackson gets them into the top 10, and we stop caring so much about Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton not being there. Um, Zaire Williams is another guy that they've had success putting on smaller guards. He can, you know, he's long, he's quick. You can use him that way. Whatever you think he's going to be long-term is fine. Uh, But right now he's a helpful defensive player. He hasn't played yet. Um, So you've got the defense, I think, you know, potentially back up to last year's levels Um, and you have John Morant has leveled up Bain. I think Bain should like be in the most improved conversation after he was in it last year. Uh, I mean, like just, just, you know, you can is look he at the, the
0: pick game. to win that award right now,
1: by it's, the way. I mean, I think is, he is. is. There's some, Oh, I saw SGA listed, which was like, Oh, that's, yeah, that's much awesome. always been this good. He's just playing again. And everybody remembered him. Um, that's a fair you know, point too. Well, I think, I, I don't know. I, I needed to see the longer list, but Bane is just like, it's so it's not just the points per game. Right. Cause he went from like eight to 18 and now he's up around 24, but it's all the self-creation right? Like that's, that's just the game changer because now we've, we've alluded to it with other teams when Morant breaks the defense down, which he just always does because now they have to guard him on the perimeter and that makes it easier. And the ball comes out if Morant doesn't finish it. Now there's Bain who's like, well, he's gonna fake you off of your feet and either hit, you know, a step in three, or he'll just put it on the floor and you can run pick and rolls with him. He can get to, Like, he's just a completely you know, overhauled offensive player in terms of, of just self-sufficiency, right. He's getting to the foul line more. He's second on the team and drives per game, which is just like, that was not part of his like makeup at all. Right. Um, so like, I, I guess it's a rhetorical question and, and, but it's just, it's just the situation of, I think we saw some pullback, right. From Memphis. I feel like that was the reasonable preseason position to take. Um I don't know, man. I think there's a recipe here where like, like you said, there's some good teams in the West. There's some that shouldn't be there towards the top of the standings. There's some that will get there that aren't there now, but nobody looks, I mean, Phoenix is probably, the, I don't, but they've got a bunch of injuries and right. in the, they don't have Jay Crowder. The Grizzlies no, just ball, it's right okay. man, Yeah, is right there for the Grizzlies. I think, I think it's right there. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I guess it's, I'm walking back my expectation that maybe Memphis was going to take a small step back before getting back on that upward trajectory.
0: I am was wrong about the Memphis Grizzlies and I'm sorry for the fourth consecutive year. Grizzlies fans should want me to smash their under because it just means that your team is going to be amazing. I I'm, I, I don't have a, an argument against why they can't win the West. Now it would have been like, there was a lot of early season defensive noise for them. Mm-hmm. That's picked up. Like they've gotten better and you're getting Jaron Jackson jr. Back. Um, it sucks that you're losing Bane. Of course, with that toe injury, uh, they were winning games. Even when John Morant went through that, like he's been going through this spell for the past two weeks. So I was doing the MVP ladder. I had to bump him down under 30%, uh, under 31% on threes, under 67% at the foul line. Uh, yeah. Very weird. Just for a two weeks span doesn't fucking matter. Like the Grizzlies are still just hanging around there. Um, fun Desmond Bain stat though, among every, cause you mentioned the self-creation and I think he's also, he's gotten a lot better as a passer, even though there can be some like turnover issues when he's, when he's doing more slowed down stuff, but among every single player who has finished at least 50 pick and roll possessions this year. So there's 59 players who have finished it with a turnover or shot. Um, or, or free throw 50 pick and roll possessions. Desmond Bain is second in effective field goal percentage behind (laughs) only Steph Curry
1: bonkers. And so that that, that's tied into this one, which Curry and Donovan Mitchell are the only players making more than Bain's two and a half pull up three attempts, (laughs) two and a half pull up threes per game. And Mitchell is, again, this is a day old was shooting 52.2% on pull up threes. Uh, Baines at 52.1. So of all, like he's arguably the best pull up three point shooter. I mean, everybody knows it's Steph Curry, but like it's, that's it, right? It's, pick and roll is real nasty when, if you don't get over that, he's just going to pull. And, and that's how you get an effective field goal percentage that high. Yeah. It's absurd. I, I, it's, it's hard to think of a guy that like, this is the type of growth or like just two thirds of this is the type of growth that like the Hawks wanted to see from Deandre Hunter or just mm-hmm. like or the Suns in a minute, want to see from Mikael Bridges. Just like, just be good with the ball, you know? And it's a really hard leap to make, especially if you kind of came up as like a spot-up guy, which is, it's it's wild. Yeah, the Grizzlies are really good.
0: If I had to come up with an answer, though, why they wouldn't yeah. in the West, I would just be curious whether we still believe that their offense scales to a playoff setting. they're six overall in offense. Once again, first in offensive rebounding rate. I still don't think they take enough threes mm. uh, like you have Bain and even John Morant sort of firing away and, you know, having the element of uh, look, some of the young guys have come in and they've been uh, a lot better than, than I would have expected. Uh, Dylan Brooks continues to take threes. You have John Conchar when he comes in during his minutes, like he's going to fire him up. Um, like David Roddy, Jake Lurivia, they've all given you three point attempts, but just like this team could stand to make more three pointers. They're not getting to the rim a ton relative to a team that has John Morant. They don't get to the foul line right now, a bunch. And so do they have just sort of that, you know, playoff gear in the offense? I think the answer more so than ever is yes. But like, once again, this team is sixth in offense overall, their half court offense is 24th. So like it is a concern. Does Jaron Jackson jr. Make that better? Does having Zaire Williams make that better? I might lean towards Jared Jackson Jr. Like maybe is where, is, my, is where I would land on that.
1: The other thing to your point, I think they're again, tops in the league in offensive rebound rate. And they're it's even higher. It's 33.6% this year, 32.7% when they led the league last year. That's the low hanging fruit that like playoff defenses, just they play bigger and they actually box out. And Steven Adams doesn't just get to do whatever he wants under there. So I think, that, that, that's another, you know, if you're looking for reasons, it's like, that's something the Memphis is, I mean, in, incomparably great at is getting second chance opportunities. They're just harder to come by. I think in a playoff series, the deep, especially if you think this team is going to win the West, you know, they're going to, then they should play three playoff rounds, right? Like, it's just going to get harder for, for them to pile up points that way.
0: One team, can you guess it not to put you on the spot is averaging more points per possession after grabbing their own miss in the NBA.
1: Ooh. Who is it? Uh, not, I'll,
0: I'll give you one hint. It's not the Pelicans.
1: Damn it. <laughs> uh, no, I have no idea. Who is it?
0: The Rockets. Oh, it's wow. not so much that their best offense is a missed shot. It's that so much of their offense is missed. Shot.
1: <laughs> sure. 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 Way to take a shot. Uh,
0: I didn't mean I just, when I was looking at it, I just thought that stood out oh. a little bit.
1: Thank you. Thank you everybody for listening to the only the Western conference portion of our biggest questions. I'm sure Dan will chop this up somehow. God, I hope so. I don't know if I could listen to all this. Um, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll do the East next week. Um, thanks for listening. Remember guys, uh, or guys and gals, anybody in the discord, however you'd like to be referred to, remember to download, subscribe, comment, uh, interact with us, engage with us. Uh, we've got all of our socials and you can join our discord information for that's on the YouTube and podcast description, rate us, review us, uh, give us five stars, give us like 14 stars. If you can figure out a way to do that, tell your friends and enemies, um, I would like to close, as always, by apologizing to Jared Allen. And on behalf of Dan, and also me, because I like him too, shout out to the one and only Frank Milliken.
0: The solution to, we were trying to figure out how the Mavericks can be less dependent uh-huh. on Luca. <laughs>